Our team at the Montana State News Bureau is back again at the Capitol following all the major action during the 90-day legislative session. From how Republicans navigate an historic supermajority to transformational decisions on spending billions in surplus and the fate of intense social bills. Listen here each week for everything you need to know about your state legislature. This is Big Sky Lead. Welcome back to Big Sky Lead. Uh, We had some big news uh, at the Montana legislature last week, uh, and it wasn't about legislation. 21-year-old Billings Representative Mallory Stromswald resigned from her seat in the House of Representatives. Uh, You spoke to Mallory, uh, right, Holly? Um, What what specifically did Stromwald cite as reasons um, for leaving in her resignation letter? Yeah, so we had a good interview, and then her letter reiterated a lot of the points we talked about. She had two main concerns. One was the way that she's been treated by her Republican House caucus, and that's due to some votes that she took last session that went counter to the majority of the caucus. And then she also talked about mental health challenges. She's a college student in Bozeman, and she was trying to do, um, you know, be in class in person Mondays, Fridays, and then be up at the Capitol the rest of the week. And just how challenging that would be, plus just the logistics of serving the legislature aren't very mm-hmm. well set up for someone of you know, sort of where she's at in life. It's really hard to be away from, you know, I don't think any of us in this room could leave a job for four months and financially float that. Right. Um, you know, just the cost of paying two rents, they get a per diem, but it still is pretty challenging. Um, and then she talked pretty frankly about what it's like to be a woman and especially a younger one in a building in a system that's pretty much, you know, dominated by and set up by and more caters to men and mm. older people. Interesting. Yeah. So has there been any reaction from, you know, her caucus or the legislature in general? Yeah, you know, we we heard her announcement read on the House floor Monday morning Um and then we did the Speaker of the House, uh, Matt Regeer, has a press availability on Tuesdays. And we right. asked him about it. And he said that Stromswald hadn't really brought any complaints to him. And he said they have had some interactions and they've always been positive. But you know, I think everyone's pretty aware of last session she voted against um, some legislation that have limited the rights for transgender Montanans. Um, and then she had a pretty passionate explanation for why she voted for a bill that would have allowed minors to access homeless shelters without parental consent. Um, And that was one that was, uh, one Republicans were pretty vocal against because they said it trampled on parental rights and Mm -hmm. some powerful lobbyists that generally align with Republicans were also against. Um, And she said she faced a lot of backlash for that. In our interview, she said some of the stuff she is ready to talk about, some of it she's not quite ready, but she said you know, last session it was pretty you know, vocal people you know saying things to her that weren't great to hear and to deal with. This mm-hmm. session she said it was a little more kind of behind closed doors, a little more like you know, not looping your in on things or you know, just really closing her out of caucus stuff. And that I think she told me she was worried about. She had some bills that she thought were pretty important this session and she was worried if she'd be the right person to carry them because she was saying you know, she would hear that people would vote against them just because they didn't want anything she brought to succeed. So I think that was a factor in her leaving too. But you know, we haven't heard any reactions from other lawmakers about you know sort of interactions or anything like that. And I've you know, tried to ask some people, but no one's really wanted to talk about it. Um, so yeah, it's kind of... 
You'll have to fill that seat. I'm curious to see. Um, you know, there was a lot of kerfuffle over the summer. She actually tried to resign when she was campaigning again, um, and that didn't work out. So there's a kerfuffle over who was best suited to fill that seat and some disagreement in Yellowstone County, and it could be pretty interesting to watch what they replace her with. Yeah, we've, um, we're kind of no stranger to resignations this session. We've had another one. Um, Representative Flament, I believe was his name. What's that, just like real quick in general, what's the process to um, replace a legislator? It goes to the county commission of the district they're in, correct? Yeah, so central committees forward a list of names, okay, and right. then the commission makes a selection. So, okay. yeah. Um, and yeah, Flament is interesting. It's actually one that Stromsel and I talked about in the interview. She's saying you know, there's a lot less um, you know, someone's going to resign for physical health issues, which was Flement. That's pretty well accepted, but when it's mental health, it's much more taboo. And mm. she was saying it was pretty important in her resignation to be able to talk about mental health in right. the same way that people talk about physical health. Mm. Interesting. Um, so we are going to now look at some legislation. Um, Seaborn, uh, the governor's tax priorities uh, debuted this week. What did those look like? Yeah, yesterday a lot of people around the Capitol were sort of referring to the day as uh, tax day. We heard um, bills in both the House and Senate committees uh, looking at some of the governor's priorities when it comes to legis- or, um, tax reform legislation. And so I think the big one that a lot of people are going to be watching is House Bill 121 that's carried by uh, Senator Becky Beard from Elliston. So that bill drops the top um, income tax rate from 6.5% down to 5.9%. You know, those in the top bracket make about 20000 a year. So that's pretty much all Montanans. If mm-hmm. you look at minimum wage this year, it's nine ninety five, And so um, on an hour or an annual basis, that's almost $21,000 a year. So essentially, it's, it's going to be a tax change for um, everybody. But some of the opponents pointed out, and after crunching some numbers, just showed that, um, you know, the biggest benefit really does go to the uh, most wealthy in that sense. Okay. So if you make uh, $23,000 or uh, less, your tax break is going to come out to $38. But if you make $300,000 a year, that tax break is about 1000 And now if we're talking about the super wealthy, if you make um, $572,000 or more, that benefit is almost $6,000. So that's a pretty big jump um, hmm. based on your individual wealth. But there is something of a concession in the bill for uh, low-income families. That's the um, expansion of that earned income tax credit. So if you're a working low-income family and you qualify for that uh, tax credit, Montana will give you a percentage of that federal tax break on your state taxes as well. So House Bill 121 would raise that percentage from 3 to 10%. Hmm. So those tax breaks that you just mentioned are going to touch a lot of people. Um, what's that going to do to the tax base? Um, and what did, you know, opponents and proponents say about that? Sure. Yeah. It's, um, you know, by the time this is fully phased in, in 2027, that'll be about $150 million less in the state general fund, um, in that due to the, uh, tax rate decrease. And then another, um, $11 million spent on the, um, expanded earned income tax credit for uh, low-income families. So it's quite a bit of money. You know, the Public Employees Union has historically opposed those tax cuts just because it's how state employees get paid. 
you think about, you know, really critical services like, you know, teachers, snowplow drivers, uh, you know, the prison, if you want to look at public safety and parole. And so, um, you know, if the economy were, were to take a downturn, it could mean, you know, potential cuts to the services. And that's what the Montana Federation of Public Employees uh, had talked about yesterday. But officials from the governor's budget office said yesterday they planned um, a budget for, uh, you know, future economic cooling periods. And um, they say that kind of conservative budget they've crafted still allows for those tax cuts mm-hmm. and to um, maintain those services. So uh, it's pretty much right now looking at, um, you know, filling up those reserves, making sure the, the vacancy savings um, take place where they need to. But, you know, in the private sector, we've got lots of uh, industries that support these kind of um, tax cuts. You know, their thought is a lower tax rate would make us more competitive in comparison to the other states. And I think that's uh, generally been sort of the, um, the argument for these bills for a long time now, um, you know, this and some other bills actually build off some of the um, governor's tax proposals that passed in the 21 session. Okay. Um, So what else did we see yesterday from the administration's tax proposals? Yeah, a little uh, more quickly on these ones. We've got House Bill uh, 212, which would raise the business equipment tax exemption from 300,000 to 1 million. Uh, that would mean about 4,000 businesses, according to the sponsor, Representative Josh Kassmeyer from Fort Benton. 4,000 businesses would basically no longer have to pay that tax. Wow. So, uh, you know, those concerns, there are some concerns in reducing that tax base. Uh, but, um, again, we're in, a, we're in a session where we've got over $2 billion surplus, and I think there's, there's a lot of ideas on how to spend that. One of them is in House Bill 222 which would kick rebates out to property owners. Those rebates would be about $1,000 um, over the next two years. Mm-hmm. So, Holly, you know, these th- there's there seems to be like a ton of these tax proposals coming out of uh, the governor's office. You know, what do what do Republicans in the legislature overall think about these bills? You know, and, and also what do the Democrats think? Um, are there conflicting proposals uh, in the works? Yeah, so we got a good indication of what Republicans think about one of the bills. Once Seaborn just mentioned the property tax one, that actually got tabled in committee today, Wednesday, with no debate at mm. all. Um, you know, to do that, someone just brings a non-debatable motion saying they want to table, and that's in the process called executive action where they're voting on if they want to amend, advance, or table the bill. Right. And that came from Sue Venton, who's Republican from Billings, who's the majority leader. Um, it was an interesting vote. You know, some Republicans were with it, and not all of them were. Democrats were also split on it, but that one's dead now. And I think the, what they're looking at there is Representative Bill Mercer, who's also from Billings, has his own ideas in the oh, bill okay. on how to deal with this. He's got one that would look at taking about $900 million of the surplus. He wants to do income tax rebates. Um, which is different from the governor's tax reduction on income tax, and that might those two things could both happen at the same time. Right. But that Mercer bill also has a property tax rebate. That one he's going to put about two hundred fifty million dollars toward. It would also be about a thousand dollars a year um, in each of the next two years. And again, this is from surplus money, so it's not an ongoing proposal. Okay. So it's a similar idea, but just looped up in a different bill. Okay. Um, and then, you know, what we're hearing is from, you know, Democrats and their criticism 
and other groups, you know, the Montana Budget and Policy Center is pretty vocal on this kind of stuff. They're saying that, you know, they understand people need help right now, but they don't like the idea that this is one time only, that there's not work on regular policies that we put into place that would create long-term lasting okay. relief. And there are different bills going through that are long-term. You know, this is by no means the only property tax right. bill out there. Um, like Seymour talked about, a lot of the concern we hear from people who don't like this legislation is that the more money you make, the more you benefit from it. Right. There's not a lot of targeting. In addition to the breakdown of you know how much people get by income in the income tax break, there's also just, if you look at the bulk amount, there's a fiscal note on that bill. And way more of the money is for rich people just as a whole. Um, so I think those are a lot of the main proposals. Property tax, too, we heard criticism that yeah, it's great, but for landlords, it's generally you know accepted that landlords pass along increases in property taxes to their renters. Rent, but right. I think people are probably right to be skeptical that renters would see any of that rebate help them out at all. Okay. So it's just a lot about who gets it, who doesn't, and why, and priorities there. Right, Okay. Um, let's, we're going to flip the page here. Um, and on a completely different note, Holly, we saw a pretty major anti-abortion bill heard on Tuesday. Um, what would it mean for Montana? Yeah. So this is a, it's a very short bill, but it's actually fairly complicated. What it is, it's from Senator Keith Regeer from Kalispell, and he wants to put into state code that the Montana Constitution's right to individual privacy does not include the right to an abortion. And what that's coming from is there's a 1999 state Supreme Court decision called Armstrong, and that is where the court held that our right to privacy allows people to access a pre-viability abortion from the medical provider of their choice. What Regeer's argument here is that when the court made this decision, they didn't pay enough attention to the word individual's right okay. to privacy. Right. And he's saying that, you know, in his view and the view of supporters of this bill, a fetus, and he, this debate in yesterday's hearing really didn't get much into age at all. So we don't know if when he's talking about this, it's, you know, from conception at six weeks or whatever point. But he's saying that a fetus is an individual that would have the same rights as a woman carrying that fetus. And okay. so it's not the woman's right to decide to terminate a pregnancy because that individual right also applies to the fetus. Okay, so does this ch does this change the constitution or not? You know, like what's what's the aim is it just redefining the term individual? Yeah, so it would put into state law so it does not change the constitution at all. Okay. And this is where it gets tricky. So when Roe fell at the federal level, mm -hmm. we saw a lot of states, including many around Montana, have trigger laws that go into place or they came into session and quickly passed laws to ban abortion at various stages. And that's because those states, Roe was the only thing upholding access to abortion right. at whatever level was available. Montana has this Armstrong decision that was basically another state-level layer. The legislature, even Republicans specifically in the legislature, and not all of them, but a lot of them have often felt that they should be the ones who make these decisions on what is and isn't legal for abortion access in Montana. But Armstrong is the block to that because the courts come in and they've made this determination about the Constitution. So Regeer is trying to say, you know, the courts have that definition and he acknowledges they have that ruling, that's fine, he'd like them to revisit it, but it's the legislature's purview to make state law. 
Where most of the dispute and debate came yesterday is, does the legislature have the power to interpret the Constitution and put those definitions, you know, you can't change the Constitution, you'll add or put it into code. A lot of opponents were saying, look, it is, if you read the state constitution, it is the court's job to interpret this document, the constitution. That is not the legislature's job. They legislate, they make laws. Courts decide later about you know, laws about the constitution and what the meaning is. So this one, I think, you know, I'm assuming it will pass just given the makeup of the legislature and what we've seen. Then I think we heard a lot of opponents hint at a lawsuit, and then this would put potentially a challenge to Armstrong in the court system going through whether it's directly or not, it's getting at the ideas of Armstrong. And I think that's part of what Regeer is maybe hoping for here because we've got challenges to abortion bills from last session coming through, but none of those are, you know, those are about the laws that were passed last time, not specifically about Armstrong. Both the governor and attorney general, both Republicans, have asked the court to reconsider Armstrong after Dobbs, you know, right. saying that Armstrong after, they're saying Armstrong came after Roe, and sort of pull from some of the things that came from Roe, and now that Roe has fallen, we should look at Armstrong. So, right. and Dobbs is what you're referring to yeah. is the court, the the, the case that that overrode yep. Roe. Yeah. Right. So I think it's setting it up for that legal challenge that maybe they think could overturn Armstrong. Okay. So you know we were both in the room on Tuesday um, for this hearing. Can you paint folks a picture of you know how that hearing went? You know what arguments we heard, and you know kind of the the contentious nature of the atmosphere? Yeah, I think to start with, any hearing on abortion bill is always really hard. Um, you know, people on both sides are really passionate, and it's mm -hmm. a pretty deeply held belief for people who, you know, the kind of people who come and testify at these things feel really passionately. And, right. you know, there's a lot of reasons people have feelings about it. It's just a really tricky issue to talk about. So I think just going into those, they're always pretty hard. Um, before testimony started, um, Senator Barry Usher was chairing the committee. Regeer is normally the chair, but he was presenting his bill. So Usher said that he was going to limit testimony very tightly to what his interpretation of what the bill is about, which he said was about the constitutional right to privacy. Right. Um, proponents came up. You know, a lot of this is really just at the chair's whim um, of right. what he decides people are speaking to or not because it's tricky, right? Like... You can be talking about abortion, um, and a lot of proponents did, and a lot of opponents talked about access as well, but you know, that all ties into the right to privacy is affording that access. So it's really tricky. Um, I think I counted probably twice where Usher, when proponents were speaking, you know, after they were done, was like, hey, I was about to stop you. It felt like your testimony was veering off a little bit. Um, so just a reminder to stay on task. When opponents came up, you know, we heard more interjections from Usher, more frequently um, during testimony, you know, while people were talking, not at the end. And then I think the most notable one for anybody in that room was um, Mike Malloy, who's a longtime lawyer in Helena, who does a lot of public access stuff, got up. Um, and he and Usher for sure have a history, which Malloy alluded to. Right. When he you know, gave his testimony, he told Usher, I don't think we've ever met in person before, but we definitely know each other. And that's when the press, which includes our papers and others, sued over um, how a caucus was closed last session, and Usher was the named person on that lawsuit. Mm -hmm. Malloy represented us. So right. you know, they, they definitely are aware of each other and probably haven't had the most delightful awareness of each other. Um, maybe they do. Yeah, I can't really guess at that. But it was pretty tense, I'd say, yesterday. Yeah. Um, you know, and 
Usher kept interjecting as Malloy was talking. There was a lot of back and forth between them. And normally when somebody testifies, like they get up, they say their thing, they sit down. Maybe the committee calls them back for questions afterward. But this was like a sharp back and forth. Two people who, you know, like are doing their thing. Um, You know, they're both in their roles and know their roles pretty well and were pretty, you know, back and forth, pretty harsh. And I I don't know if Molloy said everything he meant you wanted to say. Um, it seems like he might have had more to say. And, right. But, yeah, it was a pretty it was pretty intense. Um, I get, like, super uncomfortable when that's happening in the room and just want to, like, shrink into a corner because <laughs> it's just, like, conflict right in front of you. But, yeah, and we heard um, you know, Senator Jen Gross, after everything was done, sort of wanted to make a point on the public record that she felt that it wasn't really balanced, how Usher was limiting proponents and opponents. You know, Usher said that he didn't feel that it was unbalanced, that he was timing people, he was trying to keep it equal. We also heard Senator Pat Flowers in a press conference Democrats held just about general priorities after raised concerns too. But the only thing Usher is that he was chair of House Judiciary last session, and Mm -hmm. that's a committee that has a lot of those pretty tense moments. Like it's not a lot, but more than other committees. Um, And so, you know, Usher probably will be vice chair again from time to time when he gears out, you know, presenting bills and whatnot. So I'd be curious to see how it goes. But I think for these kind of bills, it's definitely a pretty emotional one. And Mm -hmm. yesterday was, I think anybody in the room could tell it was intense. Right. Now, so more broadly, what other abortion bills uh, might we see this session? Yeah, there's a few of them coming through. Um, there's a lot of bill requests. Most um, from Republicans don't have draft language yet. So you can just see like a title. There's not much more. We've asked for junk files, which are like background information, but there's not a lot there right now. There is one from Representative Amy Regeer, um, and that would be a reattempt at a bill that was passed last session that's stalled out under a lawsuit right now. And that would say that a person who's seeking an abortion would be informed of the opportunity to view an ultrasound and hear a fetal heartbeat. It's not a requirement, but just that the doctor would have to inform them of that opportunity. Talked to her year, and she said, you know, she thought it was good legislation. She thinks informed consent's a good idea, and she'd like to see it in law. You know, she expressed frustration at the judiciary for limiting that law. Um, said they were kind of in an activist role, she felt. There's one we've seen a draft for, and it looks like it hasn't been put on hold at this point, but we also haven't seen it move in quite a while from a freshman Republican legislator, and that looks like it's seeking to ban abortion access fully, but that one, we it might never come. It's just right. it's an idea somebody had that is out there. And the Democrats side, they are seeking to codify that Armstrong ruling. So, you know, the flip side of... It's a clean flip of what Regeer is doing, but, you know, pretty opposite spectrum there. Mm -hmm. Um, I talked with them in the first week of the session, and they understand that's pretty heavy lift, you know, but I think it's important for them to try to make that point still. They also have bills that are kind of around reproductive health. There's one that would block or make it um, bring penalties for people who interfere with someone trying to access a clinic where an abortion is provided. Um, you know, we saw a clinic in Missoula firebombed in the 90s, and I think you know, anybody who's been to a Planned Parenthood or driven by has seen, you know, there's people out there protesting pretty frequently. Right. Um, you know, there's stuff to access birth control for 12 months, which, you know, unless you have a permanent birth control method, it's you think you can get about six months prescribed right now. Okay. There's a Menstrual Products Equity Act. Um, there's one that's prescribing, so if you have a sexually transmitted infection and you get a prescription, your partner can get one too. 
Um, you know, there's just this kind of spectrum where Democrats want to talk about reproductive health, right. um, you know, in a kind of more meaningful way. And they're hoping, you know, some of those they might be able to get traction on. You know, like the birth control one I think will be interesting because, you know, the representatives carrying that told me everybody's interested in preventing abortions and birth control is a way to do that. So maybe there's traction there. But right. I think Democrats are expecting to play defense, trying to have a little offense, but mostly want to make sure these conversations are happening. Right. Okay. Um, so... Before we wrap up here, Seaborn, I want to touch base with you on um, a big topic that you've been covering in and out of the legislature. What is going on with the uh, state hospital? Uh, there was a ton of talk about it during the interim, and you know we're already seeing some early bills to address problems there. Uh, so what what's happened so far? Yeah, certainly. Uh, you know, I think after the. Um, surplus that the legislature is dealing with right now. The, the state hospital s- tends to follow um, in terms of kind of priorities that we hear from uh, lawmakers coming into this session. And so uh, we've seen some bills already emerge um, on both the kind of the fiscal side of the legislature as well as the policy side. You know, uh, not to rehash the entire thing, but um, you know, in late 2021, we learned a uh, huge vacancy. Um, among the state hospital employees, they were uh, re- overly relying on traveling staff. Um, you know, we saw a lot of a lot of uh, employees leaving because you know they didn't feel respected by uh, their management. In some cases, their management was completely unqualified uh, to hold those positions. We had doctors um, whose you know supervisors uh, held hospitality degrees. You know, mm-hmm. if someone needed to be um, restrained or secluded, you know, those people those employees couldn't go to their own supervisor to, um, to get help with that. Or, you know, a lot of this ended up um, kind of translating to, to lack of appropriate care for this facility. Um, we saw, uh, I think, at least four preventable deaths um, take place at the state hospital. Those were, um, you know, things that had, had the state hospital been in compliance and, um, you know, with federal guidelines on how some of these patients should be treated, a lot of those could have been prevented. And so that um, eventually translated again to uh, the federal government pulling back with its uh, reimbursement agreement for the state hospital and taking away its certification of the state hospital, essentially saying, um, you know, we, we don't want to be involved in the state institution. We're not going to um, help pay for some of the services here. And so um, the Governor's administration is proposing about $16 million for compliance upgrades and to become recertified with the federal government. Um, You know, that's an effort. And there were some questions about it before uh, the legislature got going. But um, it is an an, uh, obvious effort to reverse course on that lack of care on the state hospital into this position that got the state hospital into this position, which has been bad for patients and staff, like I said. So the financial side of this is going to be a little more protracted process than adjusting policy. You know, this also ties in with um, uh, over $100 million proposed in uh, the state's behavioral health initiative, and that would hopefully build up um, some more beds in community settings so that, uh, you know, the state hospital doesn't have to be a safety net for a lot of patients Mm -hmm. um, who end up there simply because they have nowhere else to go in their own communities. You know, on the policy side, um, there's a bill to end um, you know, the practice of committing patients with dementia or traumatic brain injuries to the state hospital. It's got a um, unit, geriatric unit uh, called the Spratt unit. And 
Um, the hospital's own policies actually forbid the admission of those kinds of patients. But like I said, there's been um, such a lack at the community level for so long um, for that kind of care that um, district court judges have ended up uh, committing patients to the state hospital once they become a danger to themselves or to others. Um, and so there's also a bill to um, raise wages for uh, state employees. And while that's pretty wide ranging and would infect or would affect um, you know, all of state government, uh, the bill sponsor has opened those presentations with a focus on the state hospital. Um, you know, Representative John Fitzpatrick, when I've talked to him about that bill, uh, he's and why he kind of prioritizes the state hospital and the state prison as well um, in those conversations. And he kind of talks about um, sort of two functions of government, and one of them can be like the uh, Department of Revenue that collects taxes and, and counts you know, filings and um, works with services, uh, you know, plenty of that. But then there's also sort of this cap captive population of the state, like those at the state hospital and those at the prison. And um, even as a conservative, he's, you know, kind of looks at these um, kind of arms of the state government as, as real obligations of the state, not um, necessarily something that um, should be contracted as a lot of Republicans think of or talk about when they talk about state government. And so um, it sort of has kind of emerged, the state hospital especially, as um, this this sort of bipartisan um, project that, that needs to be taken care of. So yeah, that's kind of, that's exactly what my next question is. You know, this seems like something that sort of transcends, you know, the political divide that we see on a lot of topics before the legislature. Uh, what's the temperature you know, at the legislature on addressing these problems in a serious way? I think um, because of that bipartisan nature in kind of the solutions that we've seen come up that um, the the bills will be successful. There's, there's some pushback um, in one case from the state health department, uh, just worried about transitioning those dementia patients back into a community setting. Simply, like I said before, there's just those um, community settings don't really exist right now. But I think the political willpower is there when we look at that bill to end that practice that was um, kind of developed in the interim um, with Representative Jennifer Carlson, who's a you know pretty staunch Republican in her second term, and then Representative Danny Tenenbaum, who's no longer in the legislature, but I think uh, certainly was one of the more progressive liberal members of the legislature. And so to see those two working together in the interim to um, find a policy that would make a difference at the state hospital and to see that kind of support from the interim committees um, was a pretty good signal if you're someone who's looking at solutions coming to the state hospital. You know, um, in terms of just the budget uh, on side of things, you know, the governor's office, like we've said for a long, long time, is, you know, first Republican governor in, uh, you know, 16 years before. And so, uh, for them to come in and try to invest this kind of money in the institution that um, has, has needed it for, for a while, talking about infrastructure problems out there as well as the compliance issues that have come together. Um, it's, uh, it is one of those things that I expect a lot of support for. I haven't heard anybody, when I talked to lawmakers about it, kind of come out against um, any of these solutions for one way or another. So I think really what we're watching now is just to see if it pencils out uh, before Sunday die. All right. Well, I think that's that's all I have um, for us today. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Thanks, Tom. Yeah. Till next week. <laughs>